I'm Hannah. I'm Sheena. And I'm Lori. And you're listening to Cemetery Row. Ooh, changing it up. Lou who? She didn't tell us she was going to do that. Just wild in a little bit. Wild in. This is how I wild now that I'm in my late 30s. I mean, that's how we all do it now. Unless you're me and things get interesting, but whatever. We're going to talk about that. My dad listens to this. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I would like to start by thanking Sheena so much for being my emotional support person. Uh, And I wish, Hannah, you were closer because I would have loved to have you there too. Um, So I was able to get my memorial tattoo for my grandma this week. Um, It is beautiful. It is a lily of the valley which is her birth flower with five blooms and the blooms represent her five kids and two are pink and two uh, three are blue and then her signature that sadly i had to pull off of her will because she stopped sending christmas cards a few years ago and i don't have anything with her name on it uh and her her signatures on it but sheena went with me um to pure 13 tattoo in horn lake mississippi i've got to give them a shout out Mm -hmm. because it just like amanda Munoz or Munoz. She's got the little dilde. Munoz. Yes. Over the Munoz. Yeah. She was amazing. I love her. Mm -hmm. She did such a good job. She did. Yeah. Chill. um, Did not hurt at all. It was, it's on the inside of my right arm. Um, Now, granted, you know, it's not as detailed as the one on my left, but uh, just very comfortable experience. And then um, another artist that worked there, Paul, was very chatty. She and I had, nerded out with him over what we do in the shadows and i have told everyone the story about miranda i don't know so we, we got to share because yeah this person doesn't listen but anyway so we're, we're no. in there waiting for amanda and this chick walks in and she's like i want to get a tattoo today i want my sister's name and so paul comes out and paul just so funny i loved him he is i'm gonna go give them all the five star reviews yeah but she's like i want my sister's name and i want it tattooed over my right eyebrow and her sister's name is miranda which Mm -hmm. that's a long ass name to tattoo on your face and this girl had no other face tattoos i didn't yeah there were no visible tattoos i'm sure she had them she did have gauged ears but yeah um and so he's like what font and she's like i just want it to be like in cursive but not too swirly and i don't want you to all this so i have no idea what font at all to the website the font and says look i can probably get any of these find some you like she picked some he printed them out she's like well i don't like any of these and then he she's looking in the mirror and she's like i want it over my right eyebrow and i want it to be miranda or whatever and the way she was looking at it in the mirror it would have been backwards yeah like it. she wanted like not the M to start, you know, or I mean, not it, Miranda, like here, she wanted like, f- she wanted it flipped and it, okay. It was, and he was trying to explain how mirrors work Yes, <laughs> and she was not, and she was getting really angry and she's, uh-huh. said, she was like, I need to speak to somebody else. Cause I don't think we're, we're vibing here. And he's like, well, I'm the only one that will tattoo a face. Mm-hmm. Right. So and she eventually and, left. Well, my, my two parts of that story I like was at one point she went outside 
And Paul went out there to find her to be like, I've printed up some more versions. And she was FaceTiming her boyfriend bitching about Paul and didn't know Paul was hearing it. And then later when they, he was saying, you do realize this is going to be backwards if we put it on your face the way you want it. Um, She's like, I've already been to two other shops and they gave me grief and now you're giving me grief. And it's like, honey, I bet bet because you're not understanding the concept of a mirror. Honey, take the hints if they're all saying it. It was so, and he he's like, oh, look at you. This is coming out nice because you know what you wanted. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, so, yes, you came in was, with a plan. Yes. He like, when I got them on my fucking forearms, I had like three or four different fonts. I was like, this is my preferred. I, your judgment, but these are some other ones that I also like. So you're the expert here. You tell me yes. what's going to tattoo the best, but these are the ones that I like. This is. The size, I mean, I yeah. believe it up this. To eat, you, and you they weren't it. on my fucking face. They were on my forearms and shit. Yeah. That's that's the important thing. You know what you want, but, you, you know, you give them the creative license to tell you what's going to look good. And exactly. Like, I told I mean, her, that's what I do with my hair. I'm like, you're the professional. Here's what yeah. I'm going for. Do what you got to do. Yeah. yeah. No, you know, you, you have a picture in mind and sometimes it's not going to work right. And. Again, they're the artists. They know. Because I was like, make her name as big as you can because I mm-hmm. want it to age well. I want you to be able right. to tell. I don't care how big you have to go. I understand. Yeah. I'm not going to be like. Right. That was like with my grandma. I was like, expand it if you have to expand it. But I want to make yep. sure it's legible. And yes. she's going to. It was really sweet. My dad asked, which was really funny. He asked, oh, can I get a print of it? Because, you know, it's it's got some emotional significance for him and right. so yeah uh because he's, he's technically in there yeah you know exactly he is, so yeah. he he is uh she's gonna do a, a little five by seven print of it and she's oh uh, that's very yeah. sweet so i'm gonna go pick it up yeah. after christmas but yes anyway sheena sat there with me for like three hours just chit-chatting <laughs> just you know it was fun taking everything in we went to lunch yep. and it was it was a nice girls day and again yeah it was, i love it you left us know. For chicago i know look look uh, <laughs> yes that was that was a good experience and again uh, i know we have listeners in the memphis area uh but yes it was a wonderful experience i'd never you know most of my tattoos i plan on getting at uh katie mcgowan shop in little rock mm-hmm. and this one i just I was Googling tattoo artist in Memphis and I always, and here's another thing. As a woman, I am very uncomfortable in tattoo shops. You, I always Mm -hmm. get a very misogynistic vibe. I, yeah, that's just what I get. And I know that's, there's a lot of titty just kind of out and I'm like, and I love titties, but it's being presented in a really gross way. Right. It's uncomfortable. And I did not feel that at all in this shop. I didn't feel no. It was, it was very, Hey, you know, we're cool here. We're, you know, again, Paul, I love you. I will probably go and have you give me a tattoo at some point because I really liked your vibe. Um, Yeah. Well, that was what I was going to say too. That's one thing. Once I started getting tattooed, I was like, I only want to be tattooed 
by a woman or mm-hmm. someone who is non-binary. I've been tattooed by a man right. once, but I knew by his vibe and what shop he was working with that he was not going to be gross, Right? <laughs> you know, because he was going right. to underground art in Memphis and underground art is super, super liberal, welcoming, Absolutely. progressive. And I'm like, they yeah. would not, they would not have an artist in there who didn't feel the same way I feel about things. But yeah, that's my whole thing is like, I want, if, if you're a trans woman, a woman, if you're, you know, no matter how you identify as a woman or non-binary, you can tattoo me. I'm cool with that. Yeah. yeah. Like, and that was the thing. Sometimes the misogynistic feel is just a little heavy. And I'm like, yep. yeah. you're doing something to my body. This, so right. I, I want to feel comfortable. Yeah. And that was like the place on the coast where I got mine, which, well, or I got the majority of mine, um, which people on the coast know which one I'm talking about. It's like, <laughs> it's kind of like the only game in town really for a long time. Yeah. And so it just, I didn't love the vibe, but that was the only place I could really get it done. Um, My Smashing Pumpkins tattoo was a completely different shop with a completely different person. And I really like enjoyed the vibe and I enjoyed them. And because my biggest thing when I was getting tattooed in the South is if you have Confederate flags in your portfolio, I'm not going to you. No, nope, not at all. Nope. Period. And I'm... I'm still because I have so many that I want to get done. So I'm like researching Chicago artists and they're all fucking fabulous. But oh my yeah. God, it's so expensive to get tattooed up here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's the only thing. But I'll tell you, it's it's money well spent because it's going to be something. You it's going to be on forever. my body the rest of my life. Yeah. And you're, investing, you're investing in a piece of art. So you right. Are. Exactly. And- you can't just to me walk into a joint on a Friday afternoon and be like, "Hey, will you tattoo my face?" And right. that's literally what that girl was doing. I mean, yeah. I know artists I want who it won't backwards. do like your wrists or your hands or your neck unless you have already ones. a yeah. full slate of tattoos. Right. Yeah, right. it's a uh, yeah. It was just a it was a weird little uh, because I settled on the happen. tattoo for my brother. And it's going to be the Bigfoot monster truck. Um, Children of the <laughs> 80s are familiar. Yes. And it's just going to be like an outline drawing. Yeah. It's not going to be anything super. But that was something that when we were kids, we fucking loved monster trucks. Yeah. <laughs> and he had the the battery powered like ride one you could ride monster yeah. truck, you know. And so that was just such a core memory. And so there are so many things of like, you know, mom got the tattoo for him that's a christmas tree and that's something her and joe shared the Aww. boys got like supernatural references because mm-hmm. that's what yep. they shared and i was just like all of those things are definitely part of your dad but those weren't the things that were just me and yes. him yes yeah and the yeah. things that were just me and him were like yeah. fucking hulk hogan <laughs> like those were it. our things and metallica like yes. those were just the things that were me and my brother you know, when we were wee babies before anyone, you know, kind of came in. So, yeah. And that's wonderful, you know, because everything has meaning. Like, even the stupid uh, horseshoe on my back has significance. Because I got it in Boston my freshman year of college when I was on this uh, trip with, uh, it was a trip for the Honors College. Me and three other kids that were in the Honors College flew to Boston for this project and I found a tattoo parlor and got this stupid horseshoe that's up, that's <laughs> not facing the right way. So all the luck is falling out. But like, oh no, fuck it. I, it was 
and it's on my back, so it's not like I see it anyway. But it's like, right, oh, okay. you know, they, they, you remember what you were doing yeah. when you got it. And it, it like, yeah. right. when I look at my arm, I'm going to think of my grandma and I've got her name mm-hmm. right there. And then I've Absolutely. got my, my queen bee for Bonnie. So, you know, it's, it's, it doesn't matter what it is, if it's goofy or not. It's, it's I know. right. Well, and that was like, yeah, I mean, that was like the Smashing Pumpkins tattoo. I was like, that has been my favorite band since I was 12 years old. Yeah. Like, I have signed my ticket to this Titanic. Right. I'm not going anywhere. My chances to abandon the ship have came in the wind. I am here. (laughs) This is what I'm doing. (laughs) This is who I am. Just like our little, little headstones on our legs. Right. I know. going to cherish that. Not yes. absolutely. We're gonna not be friends or lose no. contact or anything like that. But yeah, I mean, when I'm old and have Alzheimer's, I'll look down at my leg and be like, "Oh, dear, my bestie." It seriously gives me a lot of comfort to look mm-hmm. down and see it because I feel like I'm never alone because I got my girls uh, with my me. girls so, with yeah, absolutely. Love yeah, it. me too. All right. Well, apologies for that. Uh, you guys no, love our rambles. Topic. I know you guys yeah. love our rambles. No, it's Adam's favorite part when we go off topic because he doesn't <laughs> like uh, death and cemeteries. So he just likes to listen oh. to us talk shit. Yeah, Speaking of talking- off topic, but yet yes. death, rest in peace, Andre Brower. Oh, I, oh, I know. Captain was... Holt. Oh. Look, his episodes with Kira Sedgwick are some of the so- best those two have chemistry. chemistry. It was so good. The fucking insults and just how they, like the episode where her, spoiler alert, where her character <laughs> dies, I was so sad because I'm like, the series isn't over yet. We're not going to have any more banter between these two. Yes. Like, it was just so fucking good. The best. I just feel like. I grew up with that man because my mama homicide best with homicide life on the streets. And she was, oh my God, she gets so tore up over that show, but he was her favorite. Oh my God. And then anything else he was in nine times out of 10, she was probably watching. She didn't watch Brooklyn nine, nine, but she watched any, if she ever saw him, she's like, that's my man. <laughs> so I'm like, now I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm glad I didn't have to break that news to her. I won't lie. Yeah. I'm like, I hope she welcomed me and was like, oh, I've been waiting she was on like, you. Hey. <laughs> yeah. So. Well, because that's how that I learned. He's sad. He's such a Homicide was how man. I learned, like, to t- Detective Munch, who exists in, like, three or four different cinematic universes, which is amazing. Yep. Yeah. Homicide is a jam. I... I was telling somebody the other day, I think my mother had the whole thing on DVD. And I, I think, and, and probably, I meant for all of her DVDs to go in storage, but no, no, they are in my apartment somehow. So I've, <laughs> I've been meaning to dig through them and see if indeed we do have Homicide Life on the Streets on DVD. Oh, hell yeah. Because <laughs> I need to do a watch. Because yeah. I've, well, I've watched bits I mean, and pieces, but I've never watched like a whole season. With how crazy but, like streaming services and stuff are getting, I'm I like going to start buying stuff on DVD again. Yes, yeah, um, because same, like same. one of my favorite movies. Okay, I my mom got like a PS3 that she never played, mm-hmm. and I was like, "Give it to me," because yeah. one of my favorite movies is Home for the Holidays because there's not oh, enough yeah. good Thanksgiving movies. Yeah, and I couldn't find I it for streaming. I couldn't find it streaming anywhere, and to rent it was like ten dollars, and I was yeah. just like, "I have the DVD." But none yep. of my stuff plays DVDs anymore. And yep. so when mom was like, I'm getting rid of my PS3, I'm like, give that to me because I don't really care about video gaming through that. I want to watch DVDs again. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
there was some show. Oh, I noticed like School Spirits jumped um, streaming services the other day. And I was like, I saw that. Yeah, it went from like Amazon Prime to Netflix. Maybe it's still on Prime and I don't know, but I noticed Netflix was like new. And I'm like, that's not new. It was on, uh, I think it was on Hulu, right? Is the or it may have been on Hulu. I can't remember, yeah, well, but whatever it was on Netflix was like, look at this new show, and I'm like, that's that's new to you, babe. I've already seen this. Right. Like eagerly waiting season two. Like yes. you know, right? And I'm um, still making my way so through well. Outlander. <laughs> oh yeah, which is playing with my feelings. Speaking of playing with feelings, Lori, I thought of a show the other day. I meant to ask if you'd seen a show called Orphan Black. Yes, I have not watched that one. I, I it is think so good. I watched it when it was like live. Yeah, and like, oh, and that was when so Mama good. lived with me, and she pretended she didn't like it, but she was visiting Dad because Dad. I was got my mom into it. She liked it too. She had been visiting Dad for that week, and when she came back, she was like, "So what happened to Helena?" <laughs> yeah, yeah. See, it's funny because my I was first like, I ever- knew it. My first ever therapist and I bonded over Buffy, and then she's like, "Hey, have you ever seen this show?" And I'm like, "I've never heard of this." I love. And then Orphan I Black. turned all my friends onto it. I'm like, "You've got to see this crazy show. It's so good." I've been meaning to do a rewatch. So yeah, please put that on your so list, Lou. Absolutely. We had a long discussion about television with Paul, yes, who loves absolutely. was wearing a Colin Robinson shirt because he Colin is a big. Robinson. He's yes. a big What We Do in the Shadows fan. So, yes. so um. So do we want to start the episode now or do we have anything else to do? I think we're good. It's the holidays. We're loosey goosey. I was in a car wreck two weeks ago. So my life has been just (laughs) absolute banana pants and crazy shit. So we will go off on many more tangents. I'm sure. Yes. Yes. Um, and they switch my ADHD meds. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, we've been having a great time. It's been a crazy couple of weeks. Um, I'm going to throw in a quick story that is not a story. It's not my story, but um friend of the podcast, Chrissy, who has, yes. is making something for us. So when Hannah comes down soon, she wants to give us something. Oh, I don't know what it is. We um, love Chrissy. Yes, we love best. Chrissy. We, we are all in the Chrissy Bland fan club. Well, um, she also she, was our fantastic. She was a copy editor, right? Cause she used to come yeah. in. And and that's how we well that's at the student paper when we worked at student media. I met her through um right? or copy editor. Yeah, I don't remember that. <laughs> she worked. Yeah, she did she work did. at the paper she, with us. She worked at the paper. I remember that's her. That's how I met her. <laughs> See, okay, I have a funny story about how I met Chrissy, and everyone gives me grief for this. But I tell Chrissy, I say, I, when I talk about Chrissy, I say, oh, we've been friends since high school. Because in my opinion, we've been friends since high school. Here's the thing. We had a, a mutual friend that we each knew, but we didn't know each other. Mm-hmm. So she would talk to me about Chrissy. And I guess she talked to Chrissy about me. And I just felt like I knew Chrissy and was just had been friends with her for years. But we didn't really technically meet till like junior college. Well, then we go to Ole Miss together. And, and yeah, like. I just included her in, in stuff because why not? That's crazy. She's my friend. Like, I just never questioned it. I don't know. And so I always say, oh, even Princess High School. And she's like, no, I did not know you in high school. And I'm like, well, I knew you. So this is weird. But because well, um, me, then, you and her had basically almost every single class together. Including we had a lot of classes together. Random math class together. Yeah. And I just, um, like, 
I she knew was a marketing major, but yeah, right. I knew you guys by face. So I'm like, oh, she, yeah. she's and I because you had a peep on your backpack. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um. And so and then when I started working for the paper, I was like, oh, we're in every class together. I know yep. you. Yep. And so and, and then you know, love at first sight. We've been BFF ever since, basically. And then <laughs> yeah, um, Chrissy, we worked at the paper in Tupelo together. Yeah. Um, so we have many, many war stories about that. But Chrissy is from my hometown. So um, she definitely worked at the paper because there's pictures of her in the last night of press. I think that's the only thing I ever I see. That's what I remember. I don't remember her working at the paper. I remember inviting her to my last night of press. She was. I was she like, did. That's how I met her. That is her. Okay. 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 <laughs> oh, that's it. See, that's how we know her is because she was friends with Beth and they ran around together. Maybe. You know what, Chrissy? Chrissy? Everyone who hates it when we talk about Ole Miss is going, oh my god, shut up! Get over Chrissy, it. we're putting you on blast. Let us know. We are. Um, as copy editor at the yeah. She Maybe she did. I don't know. I don't remember much about my <laughs> year as editor. The trauma I of that slept year. one or two hours every night and was that senior full time course load, full time job. Epic. I don't remember anything. Anyway, I say all this to say Chrissy is a quilter in her free time. She makes incredible, beautiful quilts. Yes, um, beautiful. And I told her a few weeks ago, we talked about hanging out this weekend. I said, well, I got to record the podcast. So you can just like, you can join me like Spencer did, or, you know, you can just listen, whatever. And, but she had to get up and, and go home early this morning. And she's like, I have a person for you for Hawaii. And I'm like, well, you should have but she told me about a woman, a Hawaiian woman named Hannah Baker, who is a quilter who did a lot of work, especially after World War II and especially in the 70s, to preserve and make known the specific way that Hawaiians make quilts. And it they are beautiful. Um, I She indeed, Chrissy said she couldn't find a whole lot on her, but I found a story written by her granddaughter. I think it's her granddaughter. Um, who wrote a, a lovely piece and there's some uh, pictures of quilts that I'm not sure that her grandmother made all these, but um, I want to sit down and read the whole thing, but um, beautiful lady. And these quilts are beautiful. If you are into quilting or just beautiful fabric arts, look up this lady and look up Hawaiian quilts. Cause they, they are, they're, they're stunning. They look kind of like a, um, you know how you make snowflakes out of paper. Yeah. But it's just on a quilt. It's really oh, cool. They're very symmetrical that. and and lovely. Anyway, I noticed that in one of her quotes, Miss Hannah Baker said, "Expect your quilt to contain tears and blood and frustration. This is as it should be, a part of your spirit." And I was like, I know Chrissy would relate to that hardcore. Yes. Oh yeah, absolutely. She was just showing put- off her masterpiece, which is this massive ninety-two inch by ninety-two inch quilt. God damn, Chrissy, stunning! It is huge. She's been working on it for years, and I know she put her blood, sweat, tears into that. So I just wanted to shout out Chrissy and shout out Hannah Baker, who I don't know much about her, but I'm I'm going to just go learn about her because she yeah. seems like a cool lady. Um, I support any and all Hannahs, except for that one yeah. chick in Georgia or where the hell was she? Yeah, it was Georgia. What was her name? Hannah something where she shot a man because she's a dick. Just to watch <laughs> we don't like. <laughs> we That's don't what like I was that. Thinking too, Sheena. 
Johnny I mean, Cash. that sounded no, very Johnny was... Cashy. I know. It was like an Ahmad Arbery situation where oh. she intervened in something that had nothing to do with her, and she ended up well, shooting then... this poor elderly man. Hannah Payne, that was her name. Well, we don't, then, like, I don't her, like her. All the other Hannahs are marvelous. Yes. I like right, Hannah's. ladies, are well, we ready to get into Hawaii? <laughs> yes, I'm this. going. For real. This is my story, because I'm starting, right? <laughs> yes. Yes. I'm starting. Okay. I have two short stories, um, and they're from the same cemetery. Oh, that's um, yeah. And I, I, I found these two guys, and I was like, well, I want to talk about both of them. And so I did. Picture it. <laughs> the golden voice of Hawaii. Alfred Apaka was born in Honolulu, Hawaii on March 19th, 1919. This makes him a Pisces because March Ooh. 19th. Awfully close day to after me. Birthday. Yes. Yeah. And um, also the day of one of my nearest and dearest, Miss Jamel. There you go. Um, Alfred would grow up to become one of the most influential Hawaiian artists in history, but we will get to that. So Alfred's father was a vocalist and his ancestors were Hawaiian politicians and royalty, which fancy. Mm -hmm. Um, Throughout school, he was like an athlete and in the ROTC. But shortly after he graduated high school, he turned his attention to music. His first professional performance was at the Royal Hawaiian Hotel in 1938. He was like 19. And soon he was touring the mainland with another Hawaiian star, Ray Kinney. And throughout the uh, 1940s, Alfred's band began touring the Pacific coast of the United States. And eventually he founded a residency at the Moana Hotel in Waikiki. And y'all, let me tell you, this man... Hold on a second. Hold on. The Moana Motel? Like... Yeah, like like the Disney movie. (laughs) Every every time someone says that. I'm guessing that's how you say it, because it's spelled the same way. Oh, that's sorry. Sorry. Yeah, Yeah, I thought it was cool, too. ADHD is ADHD today. (laughs) That's okay. We're all in it. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, I highly recommend Googling Alfred Alpaca, because he's not Alpaca. I said that wrong, (laughs) didn't I? No, that's it. Alfred Alpaca. I spelled the, it as alpaca, like a not the ear. fuzzy, fuzzy critter that I want to snuggle. No, Alfred Apaca or Apaca. I heard it a couple of times. Why can't I remember? Anyway, bad Sheena. Y'all, this man's gorgeous, and his voice is gorgeous. It is buttery smooth. Ooh, like just listen to this man's voice and just melt. It is beautiful. So he, um. You know, at the time, in the 1940s, Bing Crosby, Frank Sinatra, Perry Como, Dean Martin, they were all the big cahoots, right? And um, Alfred's voice fits right in. He sounds just as beautiful as those men, if not more. Like, he reminds me more of almost like a Dean Martin. Like, it is just some smooth. It's nice. Anyway, he was discovered by Joe Glasser. Glaser? Glasser, Louis Armstrong's manager, probably Glazer, um, Louis Armstrong's manager, who began molding him to become the next Sinatra, basically. He was signed to Bing Crosby's label Decca in 1950. And then Bob Hope saw um, Alfred at a luau in 1952. And this kind of really helped his career pop off. He invited um, Al- Alfred to be on his radio shows and his TV shows, and his performances on those learn, um, 
earned him appearances on the Ed Sullivan show in 1957. So his career is really going big. And then he, um, Alfred was very popular on the syndicated radio show, Hawaii calls, which was broadcast worldwide. So everyone all over the world is like, this man's got a good voice. And then multimillionaire Henry J. Kaiser, Kaiser, probably Kaiser known Known as the father of modern American healthcare, so thanks for nothing, Kaiser. <laughs> yeah, Kaiser. Kaiser Permanente. Yeah, yeah. He uh, he had his hand in a lot of different business deals, like construction and cars and steel and stuff like. Well, let's it was definitely let him in charge of healthcare. Absolutely. Yeah, he. I, I was confused on why he was called the modern American healthcare father when they said his construction company built the Hoover Dam. I'm like, okay, but like, if if you're the father of modern American healthcare, you can go suck a dick. Well, because the Kaiser (laughs) Foundation is still a thing, and they do do some like really good like social health research. I hope so. My granny (laughs) had Kaiser Permanente, and they fucking sucked. Yeah, yeah. I just. Because they kept talking about this guy, and I was like, okay, well, then who is he? And I go Google, and the first thing it says is father of a modern American. And I'm like, I have nothing good to say about that. (laughs) But then it was like he did all this construction and cars and steel. I'm like, well, that's good because it's business, I guess, whatever. I don't care. Either way, this multimillionaire who had more money than God was a huge fan of Alfred's, like, obsessed with him. Like, number one fan. Like, his, he was in the, the beehive, I guess. (laughs) supposedly he loved alfred so much he wanted he basically considered him one of his sons and he wanted to buy the island of molokai and name it apaka island but he didn't okay which i'm like that would have been kind of cute but don't do that anyway he did build the hawaiian village which is now the hilton hawaiian village waikiki beach resort one of the biggest hotels in the world yep um, and he created the Tapa showroom specifically for Alfred so he could have this huge extravagant review. Um, and these performances, again, helped launch Alfred's career even more. But it also made the um, Hawaiian Village a huge tourist attraction. Everyone was dying to go see Alfred. So they fell in love with the Hawaiian Village. And that's why now partly why it's such a huge venue. Um, I've heard that the Tapa room, the showroom is gone, but there is a statue of Alfred at the Hawaiian village. Uh, he's wearing a lay and has a ukulele. So that's cool. Mm. You gotta like it when you have a statue. Yeah. Mm. yeah. So all of this good energy is coming into 1960, right? Like he's, they're planning a nationally broadcast television special for him. Like he is about to just soar, right? Like he's already doing a, an amazing job. Like he's, He's famous, but, like, about to break super, super huge, right? But on January 30th, 1960, Alfred Mm -hmm. played paddle tennis at the Honolulu YMCA and had a heart attack and died. He was 40. (gasps) Jesus. He was 40. He was my age. 40. 40. I'm about to be that age. Hang on. (laughs) I know. This became known as the day Hawaii cried. Oh, which broke my heart. I'm like, you're such a hottie and you have the most beautiful voice and you just up and died. Like right Jeez. as your career is like soaring and like doing amazing. It broke my Playing heart. Playing ping pong? 
No, was, no. That was oh Whoa, no. paddle tennis. I'm like, how dare you paddle tennis? It's like pickleball. I'm low-key ticked off at pickleball because that's what got Matthew Perry. I know it's not what got Matthew Perry, but I'm a little every time I see anything pickleball, I'm like, you took away Matthew Perry. And I know if it's I the die I know it's the ketamine, but still you motherfuckers better lie. <laughs> She was not playing pickleball. Look, look, old people play pickleball because it's uh, easier on your joints and you don't have to run as much because uh, I've learned a lot. Literally tell them I was doing a donkey show. Okay. Do not tell them I was playing pickleball. And I mean that. Noted. (laughs) We got you. Noted. So Alfred is buried with a microphone in his hand. At Diamond Head Memorial Park in Honolulu. And he has this massive memorial. It is so pretty. It is one of the most, the prettiest memorials I've ever seen. It's big marble. Um, We will have pictures, obviously, but it's just stunning. And it says, in memory of Alfred Apaka, 1919-1960, here in this enchanted place, here for all eternity, here is where I want to be. And those are lyrics from the song, Here. Um, since his passing, Alfred Apaka has been inducted into the Hawaiian Music Hall of Fame. That was in 1995. And he was also given the Hawaii Academy of Recording Arts Lifetime Achievement Award in 1997. Aww. He was uh, inducted into the Hawaii Hospitality Hall of Fame in 2009. But probably, really, his biggest legacy was his son, Jeff. His son, Jeff, was also a singer, took after his daddy completely. Um, he did a lot of, oh, well, let me back up. Jeff is Alfred's only son from his marriage to a lovely lady named Edna May, which I love the name Edna May. Yes. They were married for several years in the 40s and going into the 50s, but they divorced. Um, she passed in 2001. But either way, um, Alfred's son, Jeff, did a lot of entertaining and singing, but he also did a lot of philanthropy and fundraising. It looked like he really had a good heart from what I could tell. Um, He was also given the Hawaii Academy of Recording Arts Lifetime Achievement Award, the same award as dad got in 2021. Um, He passed away on January 30th, the same day as his dad. But in uh, 2022, he was 75. And he is also buried beside his dad out there. Um, To wrap this story up, I have a quote from a magazine publisher named Ron Kruger, and I just thought what he said about Alfred was lovely. He said, the splendid voice of Alfred Apaka remains in the memories of the Hawaiians. His magical voice filled the sweet Hawaiian air with thoughts of love and dreams of what could be. When Apaka sang, a hush fell over those listening. Most had never heard such beauty weave through the air. It was romantic and strong. It made you dream. Oh, I love that. Which I thought was lovely. Yeah, I'm telling you, this man's voice, it is so smooth. It is like you think about a smooth, silky caramel. That's that man's voice. If Derek can't cut in any clips, we'll definitely share some on the social media. Yeah, I found some clips online that I really liked. Um, Some of his performances on like Bob Hope show and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, it it I just I don't know. I I just looked at this guy and kind of fell in love and I listened to his music. And I'm like, this is so chill. It's nice, chill, calm music. So yeah. I highly recommend checking him out. Anyway, um, who goes next? Hannah. Hannah. All right. 
So, because the ADHD has been ADHD in, and the universe tried to kill me with a minivan, <laughs> um, and they changed my medicine from Vivance to Adderall. It's been your a girl's, couple of weeks. <laughs> your girl's been a mess. Your girl has been a mess. I do have my own Subaru now, though, so... Lubaru, but now it's yes, the... it's a Nanabaru. Nanabaru, <laughs> I like it. Um, her name is Margie because I name every vehicle I have ever owned. Me yes. too. <laughs> Although like... my last two have the same name because Bandit fit both of them. <laughs> right. Well, and the car that wrecked was Smokey because we had Smokey in the Bandit. Smokey in the Bandit. Yep. So, um, so but we got Margie. Margie, um, the car itself reminds me of a middle-aged lesbian, and I feel <laughs> like Margie is a good middle-aged lesbian. Uh, yeah, I agree. So, yeah, it, it's a very lovely car. Yes, it is. I'm looking forward it. to seeing her when you. Come I know. Yeah, same. I know. So. In that spirit, we're just we're we're gonna do some haunted Hawaii. Um, so get ready, get set. Along with that, exactly. So I am using the website Mysteries of Hawaii, um, which is actually a ghost tour that is on the islands, um, and it is by a wonderful, wonderful man, uh, named Lopaka Kapanui's, um. And so I am borrowing heavily from his website. So one day when I eventually go to Hawaii, I will take his tour and tip him extremely well. Um, yeah, you should tip your tour guides. Yes. Yes. I'm just throwing that out there. Apro- apropos of nothing. Especially <laughs> when they give you a two-hour tour in the rain. Yes. If I find out I- that you're not tipping my boo, it's we're taking it to the streets. That's all I'm saying. Exactly. Go ahead. Go ahead. Um, So we've got a haunted beach first up. Um, It is on the island of Kauai. Uh, It is haunted Maha Lipu. Unlike Lori, who prepared for her pronunciations, I did not. And I am very sorry. It's been Uh, been a two weeks for you, Hannah. It's been a two weeks for me. There's been a lot going on. You know what you should do if you're going over to a gentleman caller's house and they live in Des Plaines? You should ask how close they are to John Wayne Gacy's house. It really sets the mood. Anyway. Your dad, dad didn't, you just didn't hear, hear that. that. <laughs> yeah, I, remember, I remember when I was down there and, and I wanted to go by John Wayne Gacy's house too. And Everyone was no. like, they don't like that. They don't like that. No, do no, they, okay. they really, really hate it. But the next yeah. time you guys come up, we're absolutely doing it. Yeah. Um, yeah. We're just, I have, I have in-state plates now, so nobody will know. Um, oh, perfect. Exactly. So away from the bustle of town, a wide, wide strip of beach called Mahalilupu is an important site in Hawaii's history and culture. Um, there's tide pools, lava dunes, sand dunes, lava tubes, not lava dunes. <laughs> <laughs> Derek, do your thing. Um, why important <laughs> or ecological don't. <laughs> or don't just leave it in. They're so used to me at this point. Um, <laughs> lots of really cool fossils that include petroglyphs, native plants, and fossils of plants you know that have been there for centuries, yeah. eons almost. According to Smithsonian Magazine, in the late 19th and early 20th centuries, significant ideas about the human body were hotly contested, and scientists looked to human remains for evidence uh, to support eugenics. So that was the no. thing that was happening. We'll be getting in late... into that later. Is it? No. Is, 
is it Lucky Lindy? Because there was a reason I didn't cover him. <laughs> yeah. Because Lindbergh is also buried in Hawaii. And I was like, Ew. fuck your Nazi fuck ass. Yeah. I don't cover Ew. Nazis. I, it'd be nice if the ground would barf him back up. Please, please. If we're sending like space lasers, let's hit him. Yeah. Um, yeah. So they were trying to do some some eugenic shit. Um, medical doctors, anthropologists, and other scientists came to believe that these behavioral attributes could be linked to these physical attributes. They suck. And also the yep. Nazis got it from us, um, which yeah. included shape and size of the skull. So that is also called phrenology. So if anyone ever talks to you about phrenology, call them a Nazi and walk away. <laughs> so to prove their bullshit theory, they were trying to gather as many indigenous bones as possible, including paying collectors in heavy air quotes for the bones they found. These are grave robbers. No. 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 Yeah, we'll be this is bad too. Oh, this boy. is bad. These are fucking grave robbers. Uh, I watched a thing the other night about King Tut's tomb, and I'm like, I'm glad you all died because you guys were grave robbing. Yeah, um, and they they deserved every one of those curses. Every single one of them. Glad you got bone uh, blood poisoning. Hope it hurt. Yeah. And the only one I feel <laughs> sorry for is the canary. The canary did nothing wrong. Right. Yeah. So bones were often sent to museums unsolicited. Some were more careful. Uh, mm -hmm. Some were carefully removed from cemeteries. They were grave robbed. Mm -hmm. um, and archaeological sites, also grave robbing. Yeah. Um, to try to, you know. It is said that Voldemort Knudsen wished to send a box of Hawaiian skulls and bones to the Smithsonian. He first attempted to pick these bones from burial sites at Mana, but was turned away by Hawaiians who lived there and, you know, gave a shit about their ancestors' remains. Right. Knudsen said that the Hawaiians told him to take the bones from Mahapalupe for those bones are not their own. Those were warriors that had fallen in battle and they had no care for them. I doubt wow. this story. Yeah, same. However, there were bones scattered across the beach, um, which could be, you know, there could be an ancestral reason for that. Maybe a white dude shouldn't be in there, like, picking them up. Right. Skulls were plentiful, sticking out of the sand, and you could dig in the sand a little bit and find some more. Some even, Voldemort Knudsen said, were told that the bones... <laughs> I'm sorry. It sounds like Voldemort. I know, and... I am, I'm not anti-Harry Potter. I just don't give a shit. Yeah. Um, yes, we're anti-JK Rowling. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, there you go. I was just good and grown when those books came out, and it just did not, I don't know. I don't like hierarchies. I don't like sorting. I was just like, fuck you. I'm too chaotic <laughs> for Harry Potter to really work on me. Though I did yeah. take the test, and apparently I'm a Slytherin, so me do with that what you will. Gryffindor. Um, really? I know. Hannah? Or Sheena? I, I would have never thought Gryffindor. Oh, that was so high-pitched we couldn't even hear it. I know. What did you say? Uh -huh. Yeah. What, I would think you were like... You think I was? From what little I know, I was going to go Hufflepuff. That's exactly what I thought you were. Don't That's do nice. that. Cedric Diggory was a Hufflepuff. That's the nice house. Yes. I would rather no. be a Ravenclaw. That's the smart house. But you're the brave. Yeah. And 
and okay. boring. I mean, and, then, and then you got Hannah and Lori down here being the, I have a the, lot of friends who are Slytherins. Yeah, no, I, I own it. Merlin was a Slytherin. So, okay. Know, it's okay. You guys might as well be speaking Greek to me. We're <laughs> not all evil. But, well, well so <laughs> Hannah, the Slytherins are like, there's not a bad witch or wizard didn't come out of Slytherin. Uh, it's, okay. Slytherin's very ambitious and they go after what they want. Therefore, some people see them as evil. And hey. it's like, well, if you don't step on people to get what you want, that's fine. But a lot of Slytherins step on people to get what they want. Yeah. Were you in the way of my foot? No. <laughs> Probably. I won't even do rude interactions in video games because it makes me feel bad. Okay. <laughs> anyway, let's get the ADHD anyway. train back on yes. train. So, but there are other people who say that the claim that there are just bones from some kind of war really doesn't pan out, that it was most definitely a burial ground and that he yeah. was out there being a shitbag, yep. which I believe. Um, so it's also a popular spot for shore fishing, um, which is a thing you can do. Um, yeah. There are some superstitions and precautions that every fisherman heeds, some for safety and some are just kind of a luck thing. Um, among these precautions are to never sleep on the trail that runs to and from the shore. Um, some say it's because of bad luck. Others just say it's just a thing that you do. You really shouldn't sleep on the trail. Mm -hmm. um, a young man who had planned a weekend stay arrived at the fishing area after working all day. He passed the time catching smaller fish for bait. And, um, you know, using them to fish. My dad knows all about this. I don't know how this works. <laughs> um, he decided he checked his lines. Um, so that is the thing you can do when you're fishing is you just put your lines out. You put like some sort of noisemaker on it and it lets you know that you got a hit or a bite. I don't fucking know. Um, so he decided <laughs> to take a nap because that's what I would do. Um, he was too tired to clear out the space. And so he was just like, you know what? I'm just going to sleep on the trail because who among us has not been lazy and just decided to sleep where we ended up. Mm -hmm. He woke up to a nightmare just before dawn and felt aching pains throughout his body. When the sun finally rose, the young man saw that he had what looked like human bite marks all over his body. Yeah. Euphemistically put, even in the most sensitive areas, so <laughs> something bit him on the dick. Yo, our our good friend Lapaka is not going to say it, but I will. Something bit him on the dick. <laughs> um, older Hawaiians told him that he was sleeping on the path used by the night marchers, which we're going to talk about, and that was the reason that you should never sleep on the trails. He swore he'd never fish overnight again, which if I woke up and there were bite marks on my genitals, I too <laughs> might not do that. Let that be a lesson to you all. So what are these night marchers? We're going to talk about these night marchers because you know I love a cryptid. Mm-hmm. So, who are the Night Marchers? The oral tradition of the much-feared Night Marchers have survived countless years by being passed down by word of mouth and then through writing. So, how most everything has kind of worked. Um, their tales survived missionaries in different cultures, which I always think there's something to that. <laughs> if it's made it past, you know, believe in our system or die, okay, yeah. maybe they're seeing something. Yeah. Um 
They spread through hush whispers during late night storytelling around the dinner table, which is the best way to learn information, in my personal opinion. Agreed. Agreed. <laughs> Their procession has been witnessed by Hawaiians and non-Hawaiians from all different walks of life. Um, and they've been recounted in private and public settings. So what are they? Um Night marchers, spirit ranks. There's also some native Hawaiian words for them that we will post that I do not know how to pronounce. And I am not going <laughs> to be an asshole and fuck those up. Um, but it's the same ghostly perception, no matter what they're called. Um, the oi-o, that's how I'm going to say it, comprised a great number of spirits. The term is generally mean, used to mean a procession, so more than one, of the souls of the dead. So... It would you never see a singular night watcher. It's not like the Sacramento night crawlers, which I fucking love. Um, so it's just like a whole group of them. Uh, the most common description of the night marchers legend can come from any person who has lived in Hawaii for several years. They're a group of warriors marching in death in a haunted procession. Their announcement strikes fear in the hearts of those who see it and come in several forms. The sound of a poo or conch shell. The pounding of distant drums getting closer, which would scare the absolute shit out of me in the middle uh-huh. of the night. Yeah. The music of the nose flute, the sound of stomping feet, a line of torches traveling along a path. One might even feel the earth shake or catch the scent of sulfur. Some hmm. have said that they witnessed a column of mist moving across the land. Ooh. If you are in their way, you should run. If it is too late to run, you must lay prone, so on your belly, and cover your head. Shut your eyes tight, chant your lineage, and pray that an ancestor walks among the dead to speak for you. So you kind of say, Uncle Tom, Uncle Tom, Uncle Tom, Uncle Tom, Uncle Tom. And he's like, oh yeah, no, that's one of mine. He's good. He's good. (laughs) Bite him on the dick. Um, If you have no one there amongst the ranks willing to claim you... um, which my Irish and Mexican ass would definitely have an issue. Yeah. Uh, then they could kill you. Oh, no. Um, with no answer to save you, you may hear the call of OI. This is the order to let him be pierced, which I do <laughs> okay. not ever want to hear. No. Um, if you do not know the lineage of your ancestors or you're just aggressively white like me, your next hope <laughs> is to, and I really feel like somebody did this to clown and out of towner and frankly i love you for it uh your next hope is to strip off all your clothes lay (laughs) flat on your back and convince those in the procession that you are batshit crazy (laughs) and therefore they should have pity on you and leave you intact nice some sources say some sources say again i really feel like this was made to clown some out of towners and whoever did it i love you i hope only good things (laughs) happen to you some sources say you should rub pee all over your body, so Ew. the night marchers will find you so repulsive that they move on. Ew. And whoever told all the weird-ass white people who were bothering them about this legend what to do if you get caught, and you were like, get naked and act crazy. I love yeah. you. So that was A Haunted Beach and the Night Marchers. I love it. Very cool. Very cool. All right, y'all. Well, we're going to go down another rabbit hole. So, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, so back in episode 60, which was our Asian American, Native Hawaiian, and Pacific Islander month episode. This of year, course, the Virgo knows our episode numbers. Well, no, the Virgo, the Virgo went back and checked. 
Okay. <laughs> uh, I went down a rabbit hole about learning the about the traditional Native Hawaiian burial practices and the importance of preserving the iwi or soul during the burial of loved ones. It was during this that I learned about alcohol alkaline hydrolysis which is basically cremation by water and made the statement that when i pass this is how i want to be cremated and i I do too i still stand by this and i want to go on record again on this day sunday december 17th 2023 (laughs) that when i die i want to be cremated via this process i still have already told them i already told the nibblings this is what i want as soon as i have some extra money i'm going to start the prepay process it's happening yes okay where'd i go okay i still haven't (laughs) decided on what you can do with my remains after but yes i am pardon the pun dead set on alcohol line Uh as the means of dealing with my remains but um, i love it yeah uh okay but i digress today i want to tell you all about oh bless me uh kahi halia aloha which translates to the place of loving remembrance. It is a pyramid-shaped burial mound located on the property of the Honolulu Zoo. It contains the remains of around 200 iwi kapuna, which are skeletal ancestral remains that were displaced due to construction in Waikiki over the years. Oh, great. Yeah. So building roads, building all kinds of shit. You moved the gravestones, but you didn't move the bodies. Yeah. Well, uh, first approved in early 2000, the eight-sided memorial was designed by Native Hawaiian Kiwi Kia Hokalole, an army tank mechanic who became a staunch advocate for the re-interment of Iwi Kapuna to Oahu, Maui, and Hawaii Islands. And a fun little side note on Kiwi, according to his obituary, he was an avid ukulele maker. Oh, that's cool. Love it. Yeah. So the city council approved a budget of $250,000, which is about half a million dollars today, which makes me feel really bad that inflation from 2000 to now has is like doubled. Like, yeah. Ooh. Uh, and the memorial was dedicated in January 2002 in a ceremony conducted before dawn by descendants of those interred in the mound, including Kiwi and his family. The remains were buried in the west-facing section of the memorial, which is the section that faces Waikiki Beach and is the closest uh, section to where most of the remains were found because it's very important that they are returned as close to where they were originally buried. Mm -hmm. Um, The mound was fenced off to prevent people from disturbing it and features a dedication plaque that reads, Kahi Halia Aloha, the place of loving remembrance. Waikiki, today a busy and vibrant international travel destination, has a centuries-old Hawaiian heritage. Inhabited by Native Hawaiians for some 2,000 years, Waikiki was the preferred playground and royal residence of generations of ancestors who once walked these very sands. As the very bones of deceased Hawaiians come to light today, the byproduct of ongoing excavation and construction in modern Waikiki, the lineal descendants search for ways to dignify and honor the final remains of those who preceded them. As the National Cemetery of the Pacific and Punch Punchbowl Crater and the Arizona Memorial in Pearl Harbor honor America's fallen heroes, so this memorial provides an honorable final resting place for hundreds of Hawaiian ancestors who once lived in Waikiki. 
Please join us in respectfully observing the sanctity and quiet dignity of this memorial. Lineal Descendants, December 2001. Oh. Yes. So very nice. And the mound does have room for, you know, around up to 1,400 additional displaced Iwi Kapuna. And that fact led me down another rabbit hole. (laughs) And if I had to be enraged by this, so do you. Okay. So after the Hawaiian royals were overthrown in 1893, burial sites of Native Hawaiians became a playground for white anthropologists and uh, quote-unquote scientists who Mm -hmm. desecrated the graves to give the remains to the Bishop Museum, which apparently considered Hawaii a quote, racial laboratory. What the? No. Nope. 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 Go lay on a trail naked, covered in pee. Yes. So the bishop. Yeah, please get your genitals eaten. Yes. <laughs> the Bishop Museum was founded in 1899 by Charles Bishop, who was an American businessman. Uh, Fuck memory- Charles Bishop. Yes. In memory of his late wife, Hawaiian princess Bernice Pahawai, or Pahawi, uh Bishop. In 1912, the museum offered payment for native for the remains of native hawaiians which quote turned grave robbery into a scavenger hunt imagine mm. that no 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 in 1920 bishop invited eugenicist louis sullivan to the museum to investigate the quote pacific problem oh god and it is believed sullivan studied upwards of 10,000 living and deceased native hawaiians in his air bunnies research my uh-uh. blood pressure's going up. Yeah. Then yeah. Charles Snow took over much of the work in the 1940s. Of course, his last name was Snow. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Separating the remains into piles to be categorized. Doing God. this would make it extremely Jesus. difficult to determine how many people were desecrated by the museum because it was desecration. Absolutely. Uh, it, but it is believed that between the years of 1915 and 1993, Jesus, for that long, upwards of three thousand. Too long. Yes, upwards of three thousand remains of babies, teenagers, and adults were taken from their resting place and given to the Bishop Museum for study. And the Bishop Museum, just one one museum. So there is an incredibly researched article that will be linked in the show notes that was published by SF Gate in June of. 2022 it's uh written by a hawaiian native uh, named christine hitch she wrote quote for native hawaiians the trauma of this kind of scientific cruelty goes beyond the dehumanization of human bodies they believe that ancestral remains contain mana a spiritual power that can be found in both people and objects that power mm-hmm. they believe is stolen when the iwi are taken in well yeah. yeah makes sense to uh. me yeah yeah jesus in this article she interviews a native hawaiian named sky raisin olds who has spent her entire life advocating for the return of iwi kapuna and sky said quote damaging the bones to take measurements or dna samples these are things that happen when people want to study our kapuna our iwi our ancestral remains should never touch the light absolutely the road to repatriation repatriation Yes. Repatriation. Repatriate. Well, yes. 
repatriation. Yes, I wrote that phonetically too because I'm struggling <laughs> with that one. Has been a long one. Uh, but in 1990, the Native American Graves Protection and Repatriation Act, or NAGPRA, was established to allow human remains, burial goods, and sacred objects housed in federally funded institutions to be returned to the people from which they came. The, the law unfortunately provides priority to people who can prove a familial connection to the remains, which, again, is an issue for Native Hawaiians as their ancestors were often buried in secret or unmarked graves because... They believe that the mana remained with the bones after death, and they didn't want competing families or mm -hmm. royals to steal yeah. their mana. That uh, makes sense. And it appears that this particular act is limited to just the United States institutions. However, the Office of Hawaiian Affairs has worked with institutions across the world in countries like Ireland, Germany, Scotland, Austria, and England on the repatriation of remains that are held in those museums because it's not just the united states that fucked over right. the lions yeah yeah there was a lot of hands in that particular pie yes since nagpro was established american institutions reported having the remains of nearly two hundred thousand what people what that and is disgusting and so as of 2020 only 42 percent have been returned jesus mm. And many of those that have been returned to Hawaii are stuck in a kind of limbo because there are 21 Native Hawaiian organizations and the U.S. military because, of course, they had to get involved. Why not? They're fighting over what to do with the remains. Oh, my God. Really? So these, these bones are sitting in a military bunker awaiting the day that these groups can come to some sort of an agreement on the best way to respect their ancestors and return their remains to a respectful final resting place. And that Goodness. is my story. Why they can't bury them in the, uh, the mound at the, the zoo, which that was a group effort of the uh, lineal descendants and the government. Like what is the best way we can respect them you know, and and keep maintain these traditions right. as best mm -hmm. we can. And you know, I was learning all about. Apparently, there is no Native Hawaiian prayer for grave robbery, and so this one guy had to basically develop new prayers so that when these wow. bones are reinterred, oh, we apologize for this grave robbery that was done, and basically praying for you know forgiveness, the, the iwi kapuna to be at rest because. Right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like, so one of my high school roommate or high school college roommates, Mache, who was unfortunately dearly departed from us, um, her and my other friend, Calista, were both classics majors and they worked in archaeology. Um, and so Mache went on a dig somewhere in Mississippi that was like a native Mississippi, mm -hmm. like, and that particular tribes rules where their remains could not be photographed because they didn't yeah. want pictures of their ancestors remains being like posted on somebody's fucking facebook or something yeah. disrespectful so they could only do drawings and so and it's like you know with having the different tribes and the different cultures it's like you don't you wouldn't give navajo bones to like a sioux tribe and say hey right. here's your people and be like no bitch these are not my people <laughs> like right. what the fuck it's just uh, hella disrespectful. I don't know why I can't just leave dead people alone. Just leave just them let there. Them rest. Let them rest. 
you know, it makes you think about all the Egyptian tombs that were absolutely. Mm-hmm. And that's my thing is like, if you go into the tomb, okay, if you discover a tomb, great, take pictures or do drawings or have people come visit the site, leave them there. Yeah. Don't take them to fucking England and put them in a museum. That's not where they yeah. belong. Leave yeah. them where they are. And if people want to come see it, they can go to that area and look at it. Or they can look at pictures. Or they can or look at, like... Or make a replica. I mean, these... Yeah. Exactly. Make a replica. Literally. You know, like, the, we the have wax, so much technology. Exactly. Statues. And, I mean, we've been watching Face Off is now on Netflix, even though we all watched it when it first came on. Oh, yeah. Like, they, they can make, like, one of the, the judges makes fake dead bodies for movies. And they look so yeah. fucking realistic. Just, you know, take your measure, you know, take pictures, drawings, and then create one this is what an ancient egyptian mummy looks like and it's and going back to when i was looking up stories for vermont i almost covered it but then i found um hope cemetery which was just you know i couldn't not cover that one but there is a mummy that is buried in vermont that was a baby that they eventually were like we can't like i can't i can't remember all the details i'll have to go back and look but basically they cremated the remains to prevent people from digging up the grave and taking this poor baby um, yeah and right they, they buried him in a cemetery in vermont but yeah it's 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 and it's not something that you think of when you're young like when i was young it was like oh mummy so cool but then right you think about, well there was a reason they were there yeah you know, they, they were right it's reason. like that and, that incan teenager who they found out she was like a sacrifice and they had her pose and they had all of her yeah finery and stuff um, leave her the fuck alone <laughs> yeah. yeah it's it's i i mean there there are ways to do research and learn about our past without desecrating the graves absolutely and the beliefs right. of a culture that well um, and making a sideshow out of another cultures customs i think that i mean when we talk about mummification we talk about it like oh they did this and i'm like people are going to say that about embalming a century from now or you know a millennia from now and the same with this little ink the little incan girl who was you know i think a sacrifice or something again we treat it like oh my god do you see what these savages did and it's like okay right we're so awesome they're gonna find evidence of school shootings a millennia from now and be like these people were fucking insane yeah yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. good job Lou. Thank that you. was awesome very enraging thank you absolutely <laughs> all right hannah do you want to scare us some more yes so i'm gonna bring us home with a haunted house yeah um so you may you may know this, you may not. There's a lot of Japanese culture in Hawaiian culture. Um, mm-hmm. There's a lot of interplay and cross-section there, which I always find deeply interesting and love immensely. Um, so we are going to talk about Haunted Kasha House of Kaimuki. Ooh. So in ancient Japan, the literal translation of the name Kasha is fire cart. I love Japan. Um, It is a creature that frequented populated areas where it feasted on human corpses of the fresh variety. It was a very discerning uh, cryptid. Okay. According to legend, these creatures are a type of bat. 
Bake Neko, um, which means something in Japanese. <laughs> Living among human beings under the guise of a common house cat or stray. So start side-eyeing your uh, your little creatures. Make if death. anyone is a cryptid in disguise, it is uh, Rosie. So. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, they are bipedal and larger than most people, and they are accompanied by the flames from hell, where they make their, uh, where they go in the evenings or when it's rainy or stormy, because mm. they're like, fuck this, I'm going back to hell. Yeah. Which I understand. Um, it is only during funerals that their true forms are revealed, and as a result, they are known to snatch corpses and spirit them to hell for punishment. Jeez. Um, Akasha can also animate a corpse as a puppet or simply eat it as a meal. More often than not, <laughs> they Akasha, play with their food. They do. More often than not, they will go just go ahead and eat it. Okay. Um, so now we're in picture it, August 13th, 1942. I was not born, but my grandmother <laughs> was three. Uh, an article of appeared in the Honolulu Star Bulletin that described a haunting incident. With the headline, Police Called to Shoe Ghost from Kaimuki. Um, they described a haunting incident that they blamed on the evil doings of Kahuna. Um, answering a call at 1.25 a.m., Police Sergeant Mosley Cummins and a patrolman named Robert Anseth found a 10-year-old Hawaiian boy and his sisters, ages 18 and 20, on their living room sofa, shrieking in fear. Uh -oh. As you do. The mother, also screaming, was waving tea, which is a native plant, leaves, and sprinkling Hawaiian salt to ward off ghosts. Um, the mother stated that at 10 p.m., the son had detected the odor of a ghost in their home, and apparently, angry at being found out, the spirits attacked him and subsequently his sisters, trying to strangle them. What Rude. does a ghost smell like? Sulfur? That's I'm a guessing demon. sulfur. Yeah. If supernatural is to be believed. I know. That's a great documentary <laughs> TV series. <laughs> the mother added, my husband, who left me, is to blame. Oh, you know yeah. What? Always blame the husband. Yes. Absolutely. The husband did it. I support this struggling single mother and her uh, haunting. After yeah. a struggle that lasted for a good hour and a half, the police yielded the trouble home to a kahuna and took the woman to her sister's home for safety. Around 3 a.m., the Hawaiian, the Hawaiian woman's earlier use of tea leaf, water, and salt, which sounds like a lovely beverage, uh, to ward <laughs> off the harmful spirit proved to be fruitless as she now pointed out to the police officer's arm, look, you're covered in goose pimples. So the police and her local magic just couldn't do it back in 42. Mm -hmm. Now, picture it. Halloween, 1972. Yes. I would do math and tell you how old my grandmother was. I don't want to. Oh. <laughs> um, 33. Anyway. Halloween editorial about local ghost stories describes a call to Honolulu Police Department regarding a haunted house. Whether it's the same house from 42 is unknown, but it's probably likely. What is known from that urgent call comes from three girls who are sharing a house in a neighborhood considered haunted. The girls heard strange noises in the house, like someone was moving around and talking. One of the girls said she felt unusual physical sensations of someone resting their hand on her arm. That's a hard no. <laughs> uh, consequently, they called the HBD, 
and had a request for the the officers to follow the girls to Papakaleo, where one of them lived. They said, I'm getting the fuck out of here. We would like an escort. Mm-hmm. The girls got in their car and the officer got into his car and then drove down YLA Avenue. Suddenly, the girl driving pulled the car into the Oasis Cafe parking lot where a public storage is now. According to the report, that police officer would later file. The girl sitting in the middle of the front seat began fighting off something that was strangling her. However, there was nothing there. The officer left his car to get into the girl's car, but he was grabbed by a big calloused hand that was not there. It was completely invisible, but it twisted his arm. That's when he ran back to his squad car and radioed for assistance. So apparently ghosts are also a cab. The officer then put the hysterical girl in his car and urged her friends to follow him, but the squad car wouldn't start. Oh, no. Another officer tried to motor, tried the motor and immediately started. So there it goes. The two cars (laughs) drove about five yards. I'm American. I don't know what that is. And suddenly the door of the girl's car flew open. And the girl who was being strangled fell out onto the road. This is very, oh, no. very dramatic. She was yeah. tearing at her throat as if someone was choking her. The policemen were not strong enough to pull her hands away. Oh, no. The, the sergeant ran into the Oasis Cafe and came out with a Hawaiian salt and a glass of water, which he sprayed on everybody. Calm was immediately restored. So he okay. sprayed them with a water bottle like their cats. Yes. <laughs> and some okay. salt to like chill them the fuck out. Okay. So it didn't work for the struggling single mother, but it did work for the cops. So maybe they're not oh, okay. as they have as we thought. Now we're going even more into the future to 1994. Wonderful year. <laughs> and we have a book about the Obaki, which we talked about were those Japanese fire ghosts. Um, This book is called The Obaki Files by a man named Glenn Grant. Um, The book is a story about a fictional character named McDougal, who is a hardened private eye with the Honolulu International Detective Agency. The tale is written in the old pulp novel style with a no-nonsense edge to it. Uh, his partner, Katz Oyama, the unwitting detective, becomes involved in a world of sex, betrayal, and the supernatural. Oh, my. Sign me up. Um, he becomes eyewitness to the horrific deeds of the Kasha, in this tale at least. The Kasha tears people limb from limb until there's literally only pieces left. At one point in the story, McDougal himself is nearly killed twice by the Kasha. Oh, no. There seems to be two different versions of what the function of the Kasha is supposed to be. Is it a collector and consumer of dead corpses, or is it a super poltergeist that is conjured by a Japanese curse? Who knows? (laughs) (laughs) In either case, it is not a formless fog of black smoke that tears people apart. Uh, And on we go. Hang on, hang on. It says, there is a 1967 ad in the Honolulu Advertiser for a two-bedroom house for $155 a month, which sounds awesome. (laughs) And in this, I will read you the ad. Diamond Head, which is also a place in Mississippi. Mm -hmm. Um, Kaimuki, two bedrooms, haunted. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And you also get validated parking. Oh, nice. Uh, Nice. 
Today, the homes on 2nd Avenue, as well as the house on 8th Avenue, uh, have just been kind of ramshackled. The houses are gone, replaced by duplexes. Even the stories that made them famous are kind of, you know, not as known. Since the truth is, the Kasha sometimes took on the form of a Bacchanico, which is a common house cat or stray. Did anyone happen to notice stray cats in the Kaimuki <laughs> area? So... That was your house haunted by a Japanese ghost who likes to eat corpses and strangle women. Fun. Yes. How nice. (laughs) Well, I'm going to close this out with a story that I thought was kind of lovely. It's it's not. It's terrible. But um, (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I... Y'all know me. I'm. I have a soft spot in my heart for the dead, and I think it's really important that you have your name in death and that you're not forgotten and and all that Absolutely. good stuff. And so I don't know. I read about this guy because he's buried in the same graveyard cemetery as Alfred Apaka, but is a totally different guy. And I was just like, what? This guy, this guy was kind of cool. Um, I will say this when, when we set out to do Hawaii, I was like, I'm not doing anyone white. Like I'm not covering a white dude. Like no that colonizers. Too. Yeah. But this guy did some good stuff. Um, So we'll give him his flowers. Yeah. I, I think he did some good stuff. So picture it. Peoria, Illinois. Oh Jesus. God. Why? That's where he's born, May eighteenth, nineteen twenty-one, which is makes him a Taurus. A Taurus and a hero was born named Raymond Donald Emery. The Emery family was a big one. There were eight kids. This was during the Depression. Times were tough, and of course, in the events leading up to World War II, they that kind of began in the late, well, in the nineteen thirties, and then really revved up in the forties, obviously. Um. The draft law was about to pass, but Ray felt the call to sign up for duty. So he went to meet with the Navy recruiter. And from a story the Navy published in 2012, he said, when I got home, I can still see it. My dad was reading the newspaper and my mother was darning socks. When he announced he joined the Army, the father dropped his newspaper and sputtered, you did what? (laughs) Which that sounds about right. Yeah, I mean, the world is at war, and your son just went and signed up for the Navy. So his first ship with the U- was the USS Savannah, followed by an assignment on the USS Honolulu, which was stationed at Pearl Harbor in Hawaii. Oh, well, we know nothing bad's going to happen there. Not at all. And and listen. I could go into history and explain World War II and explain World Pearl Harbor. We would be here for two days. We would. You have Google. You have access to Google. Go Google. I'm going to kind of... Literally turn on the History Channel. It's almost all World War II. Yeah, which is weird. Yeah, which is weird. So Pearl Harbor happened on December 7th, 1941. Ray was 20. Um, A lot of the men that I found that died in Pearl Harbor were 20. Babies. Babies. Yeah. Anyway, but basically the Japanese launched a surprise attack on the Pearl Harbor military base in Hawaii just before 8 a.m. A total of 2,403 Americans were killed and 1,178 were wounded. 
most of those killed and injured were in the United States military service, but there were some civilians. And there were a lot of battleships and aircrafts that were destroyed or damaged. Like, it was really, you know, you know, yeah. if you don't know, go Google. It was a huge, horrible thing. The America had not entered World War II yet, but so technically all of it. the, it did it. Um, and all the Americans that were killed legally were at the time non-combatants, which I didn't even right. think of. But yeah. Um, and of course, war, um, Hawaii wasn't even a state at this point. So ten, I'm sure Hawaii was sitting there like, what did we ever do to you? Like, like what the fuck, them. y'all? <laughs> yeah. So anyway, Ray is um, on his ship, chilling, reading his newspaper. You don't remember when people used to read the newspaper? Yeah. And- <laughs> don't we ever. Yeah. And he heard, he hears sirens and all this. So he jumped up and he's like, oh, okay. So when he got to the top of the ship, he heard gunfire and he thought, oh, this is a good drill. No, oh, no, honey. Honey, it's not a drill. <laughs> um, so when the, uh, the Stars and Stripes did a story on him and it said, This is from the Stars and Stripes story. He reached his battle station, the 50 caliber machine guns, and had not even gotten the canvas covers off of them before a Japanese torpedo plane zoomed past the ship's fantail. He watched the torpedo from that plane rushing through the water toward one of the battleships. As another torpedo plane swooped down, the first torpedo found its target, and Emery said a, quote, big red ball of fire filled the harbor. Ooh. Um... And that, I mean, that's just the beginning of it. Like, I can't imagine what all he saw. Terrifying. Terrifying. Um, Now, Ray would go on to survive Pearl Harbor. So we're not talking about someone who died in Pearl Harbor. Good for him. But we're getting to why we're talking about him. So um, he would actually go on to be involved in seven invasions in the Pacific, including Iwo Jima. Ooh, Um, Iwo Jima was rough. Yeah. He left the Navy in 1946 as a chief boatswain's mate. Okay. Sounds good. Ask my dad what that is. Dad, if you're listening, what is that? Yeah, what is that? Sounds good. Um, he went on to earn his degree in architecture at the University of Washington, and he worked in mechanical engineering and construction in the Pacific Northwest until his retirement. In the 1980s, he moved to Hawaii, and it was at Hawaii where he found his last pas- his life's passion, attempting to identify the remains of service members who died aboard the USS Oklahoma who were buried as unknowns in the National Memorial Cemetery of the Pacific in Honolulu, a.k.a. the Punch Bowl that Lori mentioned earlier. Mm. Um, so basically, there were several, obviously, as I said, lots of battleships, lots of planes and stuff that went down in Pearl Harbor. The USS Oklahoma is one of them. Which um, one is it that's still that? Is it the Arizona? It's the Arizona. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's basically a water grave for all those folks. Yeah, I started to cover that, but I covered that a lot when I was at Graceland because Elvis did a lot to, like, he did concerts and stuff to raise money for that memorial. Yeah, and I just I didn't want to go back to that. That's for a reasons, lot, but yeah. it's a lot. But I don't know. This guy and his fight for these unknown soldiers really touched my heart. Anyway, mm-hmm. um, so. 
basically he wanted to have these people exhumed and scientifically identified so their names would be known and their families would have some closure because otherwise it's just well we know they died in pearl harbor we just don't know where they are so okay so at two days after pearl harbor local contractors and the navy rescued 32 men from the uss oklahoma's capsized hull so the ship did go down 1200 men had been on the boat but 429 were killed and the remains still in the overturned hull. Mm. So they wanted to pull these guys out. They knew they could do that. So efforts to recover those remains began the next spring and they were re- able to recover over 400 men. And they were body they were buried in 52 graves marked as unknowns. After World War II, they tried to identify the bodies. They were only able to identify 35 of them, so the rest were reburied in 46 graves. Hmm. Fast forward to 2003, thanks to Ray Emery, um, his fights, his fight to identify these guys sparked the Oklahoma Project. So he dedicated um, himself to studying the cases of the buried unknowns and started researching the unresolved casualties. He studied the lab's results from the 1940s and determined, hey, we can identify the rest of these guys. I'm not really sure of the details of how he encouraged the government to take on the project, but a lot of things I read suggested he got a lot of no's and the government was like, shut up. We don't care, which <laughs> shocker. Right. Um, right. It's, he did say they politely told him to go, you know, where. <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah. Which I'm like, wow, that's rude to a man who fought for you in Pearl Harbor. Okay. Right. Anyway, it finally worked. He got them to identify a couple of guys. One of them was a 17-year-old apprentice seaman named Thomas Embry. A whole Seventeen. I'm telling you, the oldest guy that I found in just clicking around was like 39. The rest of these guys were no older than 23. Well, because that was back in the day. And I remember watching, um, this was back when I was in high school, and it was a British World War II Mm -hmm. vet, and you had to be 16 to join, Mm -hmm. and he was only 14. And the recruiter said, take a walk around the block and see if you don't feel older. And that was back in the day when you could just lie Uh about your age. Yes. So, yeah, there's probably a lot of them that are that age. Um, Anyway, Ray Emery did not take no for an answer, and he kept pushing at this anyway eventually the pentagon decided to start the project of exhuming and identifying the sailors who died on the oklahoma good for uh, Ray. so yeah so the joint pow mia accounting command exhumed a single casket they were just like we're just gonna start with this one casket they thought the remains of five people were in this one casket because you know when there are explosions you probably just have pieces yeah that one casket didn't have five people in it. It had almost a hundred. Oh, oh, so no. They were like, oh, God, this is going to be a lot harder than we thought. But they persevered. Thank God. Um, and let you me... had an entire apartment to sneeze in. And you came and <laughs> sneezed directly in my microphone. That was Jack, ladies and we gentlemen. We appreciate that. Um. Anyway, they persevered. They began collecting DNA samples from family members. They began requesting dental and medical records. Um, the remaining unknowns were disinterred from the cemetery in 2015, and they started to work to identify them. 
as of October 2021, 396 of the USS Oklahoma's personnel have been identified. That's almost all. That is almost all. Almost all. There is a group of 32 men who could not be individually identified. Um, But this means that basically the rest of them have been. And like I said, these guys, everyone that I, because like I went through, they have them listed on this one website by state. And I was like, okay, I want to know all the Mississippians. I want to know all the Tennesseans, the Jordan. Mm -hmm. Like, See if I knew anybody who could be kin to these people. Right. Um, Which is likely. But one that I found specifically was from Mississippi. And his story really touched me. Um, One of the men identified was Aviation Machines Mate Second Class Darrell Wade from Calhoun City, Mississippi. This is like two counties south of where I grew up. Like, and I probably know some of his kin because I know some Wades, like... He was 24 when he was killed in Pearl Harbor, but they have now identified him and they have awarded him the Purple Heart and his remains have come back to Mississippi 77 years after his death. I love that for his family. I do too. I do too. I'm like, that's really important for them. Um, He is buried at the North Mississippi Veterans Memorial Cemetery in Kilmichael, Mississippi. He has a new headstone that has his name, because we know it's him, his information about where he served, and it says at the very bottom, home at last. And y'all, that got me. That got me. I'm like, I'm not, I'm such a pacifist, and I don't like war, and I don't like, I wish we didn't have to have a military. I wish we didn't have to fight other countries. Like, I'm... I'm such a stupid, naive, I know I am. But... Well, and these were just babies who were hanging out at their station in yeah. Hawaii and just like, you know, not like America was blameless up to this point, but these right. kids most certainly hadn't done anything. Yeah, it, it bums me out that, and this is not the case for these guys necessarily, but sometimes it's our poorest, most disadvantaged kids Absolutely. that we put to the military because they want to get an education and that's the best way to do it. And it's like, oh my God, do we have to let well, our babies die like right. this? And that's oh. like Vietnam where there was a draft. Yeah. yeah. Those kids didn't pick that. <laughs> no, they did not. No. And I think you should be able to pick if you go serve for our country. Like if you go for our serve, serve for our country, great. Go do it. Have at it. But, right. Absolutely. Yeah. I, if you don't choose it, I don't, I don't think you should go. But anyway, so basically, I mean, a lot of this I know was not done by Ray Emery, right? He's only one man, but it was his fight to get them identified that started all of this. And I just was very touched by that because, you know, he could have moved on and buried all this trauma and, and he didn't, he fought for them. Now, he um in June 2018, Ray was preparing to move back from Hawaii to the mainland to live with family members. His wife, Jenny, had passed the month mm. before and he wanted to go live with his son in Idaho. But he wanted to go say goodbye to Hawaii one last time and he wanted to go to the pier where his ship where his ship was um moored mm-hmm. um on that day, on December 7th. So they take him out there, and I, I don't think he knew this was coming. He was greeted by more than 500 sailors who formed an honor cordon and shouted, hip, hip, hooray, and Ray saluted them. 
They had a little ceremony in his honor, and Jim Taylor, the Navy's liaison to Pearl Harbor survivors, told him, Ray, you're the man that did it. There's nobody else. If it wasn't for you, it would have never, it would have never been done. And he gave Ray a black folded POW MIA flag that has the words, you were not forgotten on there, which I just, that's, yeah. Uh, my heart aches for dead folks whose names are right. They're I, never I just known. Hate it. Yeah, and and I know that this is such a privileged thing. There are so many people who like enslaved people who we right. will never who know. Will never know. Right. You know, I I get that we are very much saying this about a a bunch of not entirely, but a bunch of white dudes who you know served in war. But I just you know. It got to me. It got to me. Okay. Well, no, and, and, and absolutely. As we've said all along, these were babies. It, it, yeah, so these were young. kids. So young. You know, it's not like Patton himself was there. You know, and right. that's the thing is like, and you see it even in like fantasy books where you know Game of Thrones, the books, right. which are better than the show, by the way. Um, who said you know when the lords start having their thing, it's the small people who end up getting killed in it yes so when you have heads of state who start saber rattling and doing all this shit it's the farm kids it's the you know kids from the cities the factory workers who give their lives for it yep so about a month after this ceremony retired chief boatswain's mate and pearl harbor survivor ray emery died um so it's just a month later after that ceremony it was he died on august 20th 2018 he was the age of 97 damn he died in idaho where he was living with his son he is now buried at diamond head memorial park in honolulu next to his wife virginia and it looks like now they're like yeah me too and it looks like they're in like a mausoleum because it i I can't tell based on the pictures and unfortunately i've never been to diamond head memorial park but i want to go now Mm -hmm. um but it looks like they're in a mausoleum but it's really pretty but i just i don't know i like i said y'all when i it's like when i'm out at elmwood cemetery here in memphis and i'm like i can't read a grave that makes me want to go clean it because i i I need right even in death and and you know all your loved ones may be dead but i'm i fully think about how in a few generations after I pass, no one's going to know who I am. You right. Know, I, I don't have kids and the kids that are in my family don't know me that well. They're not going to know or care. They're not going to come visit me. I'm going to be forgotten very soon. And I think a lot of us are, whether we want to think about it or not. Now, just think about these guys who were 23 years old, chilling in their ship, reading a newspaper or whatever, and they got blown up and we should remember right. them. For something know. that they don't even didn't necessarily understand. I mean, that's what I think about with like World yeah. War One, which started under just the most ridiculous of circumstances. Right. And it's like, okay, you've got all of these boys dying in trench warfare, which was some of the just ugliest warfare in human history mm-hmm. because yep. a duke got shot. Yeah, you know? I, know. I know. Some little know. farm boy from Kansas is getting his limbs eaten off by rats because of what exactly? Yep. yep. And it's like when I went to Virginia and we went to that really old cemetery, there were some that was just not legible, like at all. They were just so old. And I'm like, oh, that's so sad. Yeah. So, yeah, that's that's the story of Ray Emery and and his fight to name these guys. And good for them. And if they can be taken back, I did 
Google a lot of the guys and a lot of some of them are still buried in Hawaii, but there are a bunch that were taken back to their hometowns in that's the mainland. Good. Yeah. So awesome. my my guy from Mississippi was not the only one. But. Yeah. Well, that was the sad thing about um, I remember one time we were in Elmwood and it was a guy who had been buried in Europe because he died in World War Two and they didn't bring yep. him back back then. And it was yep. just like but his family still wanted, you know, somewhere to go. Something. Yeah, of course you do. Like. Oh, it's just, yeah, it's one of those things. I think grief is so personal and it's so weird how you want to grieve. And I can't imagine my 20 year old son Mm -hmm. dying in a horrible way in Hawaii. And where do you go to grieve? If you do feel like you need a place to go, where do you go? Anyway. And the last time you saw them is the last time you saw them. Like you're never seeing them again. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, um, that was deep. We got deep. We're sorry, guys. Yeah. Didn't mean to get so serious, but yeah, we did. Maybe I should have switched my story. But you know what? A guy dying of no. a heart attack after playing pickleball ball at 40 is also kind of heavy, too, because right. I'm, very, I'm very upset about that. Like, I will never That's, forgive yeah. you paddle ball or whatever it was he was playing. Just go back and look at my dick biting story. You guys will be fine. <laughs> paddle tennis. Um, so our next story, because it's going to come out, or our next episode is going to come out around New Year's. We are going to find New Year's shenanigans. Absolutely. I don't yeah. know what it's going to be. None you don't know do. what it's going to be. <laughs> but it will I'm be probably going to know like an hour before we record. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully our next two weeks will be less dramatic. But it's also going to be Christmas and all that right i'm gonna be traveling so god help yeah. us all Same. Same. speaking of christmas merry christmas happy hanukkah happy kwanzaa happy whatever you celebrate if you celebrate anything at all or if you're just like listen i exist in the month of december dude same same same. hey we're all we're all there <laughs> yeah and we love you yeah so make, happy make, whatever make krampus bring you joy Exactly. I just watched Krampus again the other night. I I love that movie. movie. I've got to get Katie to watch it, but it's it's not something we can watch when the kids are awake. No, 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 no. There's also a really good one um, called Elves. Um, It used to be on Netflix. I don't know if it still is. The funny, because we were watching it. It's Nordic. So, you know, they're very brutal. Oh, Um, I did watch some of that. It is brutal. Yeah. She was very upset when they lured the little beasties with a cow. She was like, what the cow do? But then they lured it with a person. And she looks at me, shrugs her shoulder and goes, people are meat. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, oh, Emmy. Yeah. Yeah. People are mean. All right, Luhu, where can people find us if they'd like to find us? We are on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Cemetery Row Pod, or you can send us an email to Cemetery Row Pod at gmail.com. We love them. Yay. Yes. Um, yes, please do. Please email us. Please leave us reviews. Please tell your friends about us. Spread the word. Um, we'd like for there to be more of you. <laughs> yes. Though we do love those of you who are here. Yes. yes, but you know Including what? That would be a nice. My parents. <laughs> it would be nice to have a fresh review for Christmas. Yeah, it would be. Like, hey, we like you, and that wouldn't that be nice? Wow. It would be lovely. Anyway, um, so I guess that's it. Behave Bye. yourselves. Yes, Santa's please. Watching. Yes.
All right. All right. Bye. 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 <laughs>